Last week I looked in the mirror and I saw a hair growing from the bridge of my nose. Whilst it wasn't a surprise, it was definitely a disappointment. It reminded me that I am growing into a likeness of my earthly father who once grew hairs from the same place himself and I took the mickey out of him as a teenage son. Once I'm past that humiliation, I remember that actually I am a child of my heavenly father. And so though outwardly things are happening to me that I wish weren't happening to me, inwardly I am becoming more and more like my heavenly father with every single day as I am his child, a disciple of Jesus. Today I want to talk to you about what it means to be a child of God in different circumstances. Over the last few weeks we have been looking at the Beatitudes, the sayings of Jesus recorded at the beginning of the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew chapter 5. We've had some wonderful talks and I commend them all to you and today we're bringing this mini-series into land as we look at the last two Beatitudes but I'm going to begin by reading the whole of that passage so we can remember them all together. So from Matthew chapter 5. Now when Jesus saw the crowds he went up on a mountainside and sat down. His disciples came to him and they began and he began to teach them. He said blessed are the poor in spirit for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad because great is your reward in heaven. For in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. And today we're looking at those last two. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad because great is your reward in heaven. For in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. And those last two sound similar, but they're a little bit different. It's appropriate when thinking about persecution for the first place to go for us as Christians to be Dietrich Bonhoeffer, a German pastor who was martyred by the Nazis for leading a peaceful resistance against their regime. He had these words to say about this moment and they're so beautiful. I commend them to you. Jesus sees, he says, his disciples over there. They have visibly left the people to join him. He has called each individual one. They have given up everything in response to his call. Now they are living in renunciation and want. They are the poorest of the poor, the most tempted of the tempted, the hungriest of the hungry. They have only him. Yes, and with him they have nothing in the world, nothing at all, but everything 
everything with God. That quote comes from a book written by another theologian called Stanley Howes, who, thinking about those words by Bonhoeffer, says that this passage, these Beatitudes, are not a list for that community who have left everything behind, but a description of their life. So there will be some who are mourning, some who are meek, some who are poor in spirit. They are descriptions of the community gathered by and around Jesus. And so we, when we come to these last two Beatitudes, those who are persecuted because of righteousness and those who are insulted, persecuted and falsely accused because of Jesus, because of being Christians. When we come to these last two, they're not a list for you to fulfill, but they are descriptions. And we need to acknowledge, as we will do, that they are not necessarily common of the life of Christians in the West today. But that doesn't mean to say that we don't need to pay attention to them. So the first of these two, blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness. What does that mean? St. Augustine said that actually if you look to the cross, it gives us an example because you have um, thieves on crosses and Jesus on a cross. Three people who are getting the same um, punishment but they have done different things. One is being punished because of his right living, because of his right thinking, because of his righteousness, because of his godliness. And the others are being treated that way as a punishment for crimes they have committed. So persecution of righteous because of righteousness is punishment that doesn't actually match. In fact, it's the opposite of what you would expect. In, in some ways, it's like um, those who behave well at school being bullied for behaving well. History teaches us that this happens in the church. An obvious example in the 20th century would be the civil rights movement in America, where predominantly African-American Christians were persecuted because of their stance against um, segregation and their conviction that actually all are made equal in the sight of God. They were people who were living righteously, but yet they were being persecuted for standing up for that truth. Now, it's not common for this to happen today for Christians in the West. It can happen in the workplace. I've seen it in the workplace. It can happen at school. It can happen in kind of smaller social scale settings informally. There's one place, though, that we have to be aware that it is coming towards us as Christians, and that's in the area of sexual ethics. Now, I hold to what would be understood to be a biblical orthodox position on sexual ethics. So I believe that sex belongs within marriage between a man and a woman. And I try to hold that position graciously, acknowledging that actually humanity is broken and fallen. And for many people, that isn't their experience of sex. But that doesn't mean to say, I believe, that we can change what the Bible says 
But it is to know that actually we have a God of redemption and forgiveness who longs for us to live in his purposes. Now, I know that you may be listening to this and you may be thinking, for example, that same sex marriage is reconcilable with a Christian viewpoint. And though we might disagree about that, what we must acknowledge is that both of us are drawing a line about what is and what isn't acceptable in terms of morality. Because as an advocate of same-sex marriage, or even holding my position, uh, there have to be decisions about sex before marriage, or sex outside of marriage, and infidelity, and uh, divorce. And what we would have in common, even though we would disagree about certain key things is that we the distance between what we think and what the world thinks about sex is vast now this came to the fore recently with jk rowling the author i don't know whether she's a christian or not but she made some statements about transgender ethics and experienced what is termed as cancel culture where lots of people who had worked with her before essentially distanced themselves from her and rubbished her position. She was being persecuted because she drew a righteousness of her own. Now, if we hold two positions on sexual ethics, and even if we hold them with as, as much graces as heavenly possible, we have to recognise that we live in a world that will view those ethical positions as not in keeping with theirs and we are likely to experience that same cancel culture. So in the coming years it's likely that the church, whatever its position on marriage, is going to experience persecution because of righteousness and that is something that we need to be preparing ourselves for. So though it's uncommon now, this may be something, well it is something that we're going to experience in the future and how are we going to experience it? So that's the first one and how it will apply to us and the second is um, blessed are those who, um, who are insulted, persecuted and falsely accused. Now we, again we've got to acknowledge this is uncommon in this country although some of us may have experienced this. It is, however, normative in China, in Eritrea and lots of other countries. But explaining it here in this setting is difficult because it's difficult to represent the present. It's difficult to represent the present in those circumstances because it jeopardises their safety. There are plenty of websites and, and books that, that talk about that. So we can't, as we have in previous weeks, do an interview with somebody who is currently experiencing persecution because um, that would jeopardise them. One story that I've read about recently that I think is pertinent to us to understand the reality of Christian life elsewhere in the world is a story of a Baptist family in Russia under communist regime where the children decided because of their faith not to wear red badges in school and because of their decision not to wear the red communist badge because their allegiance lay with Jesus and not with their communist dictator their father was removed from them never to be seen again 
a normal Christian family, not a pastor, a, a normal Christian family making a decision that had enormous ramifications for them. This is the norm for, for many Christians across the world today and, and something that we need to heed. We can't pretend that our situation is the same, but we do know that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today and forever and is the same in different parts of the globe. Now, I don't want hair on my nose. And that is actually really trivial because I don't really want persecution because of my beliefs and my behaviours. I, I don't want to be insulted, persecuted and falsely accused because of being a Christian. But I do want God and I do want life in him. But what I know is that in wanting God and wanting life in him is that he calls me to give him everything. Now, that doesn't mean to say that like the first disciples, I have to leave everything. I'm not asking you to leave everything to follow him. But it does mean that we have to surrender everything to him. And when we do that, when we surrender everything to him, what happens is we realise that when we come to these Beatitudes, we don't get to pick which one we want to be living at any particular time. When we surrender our whole lives to him, if he calls us into a season of mourning or meekness, or hungering and thirsting for righteousness, or persecution, he calls us into that. And he will be enough for us in those moments, because he is enough. And so as we think today about what it might mean for us to be persecuted because of righteousness, we can see the one who was persecuted and died for us because of righteousness and when we think about our brothers and sisters elsewhere in the world who are insulted who are persecuted and who are falsely accused we can know that they look to the one who was insulted persecuted and falsely accused and still went to the cross willingly in their place so dear friends this is not a list for us to complete. It is a description of life in God. If our discipleship means anything to us, it must mean everything to us. And so we don't get to choose. We trust our whole lives to him. Let's pray.